Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar here along with ESPN's Courtney Cronin. And Courtney, we have some drama when it comes to the offensive coordinator situation with the Minnesota Vikings. We thought it was going to be straightforward. We thought that they were going to just interview John Filippo, and then we would have a decision soon. But instead, things have hit a snag. I believe this is what they would call things hitting the fan. Oh, um, sure. In in appropriate terms, but, you know, God bless the NFL in the sense that this is actually a really interesting offseason, not just for the Vikings with the quarterback situation, but league-wide, how nuts this is going to be. I mean, it's never nothing's ever going to top how crazy the NBA offseasons have been the last three years, but this is getting there. You know, when we get the tweet from Adam Schefter yesterday afternoon that – McDaniels backs out of his deal uh, that he had you know, verbally agreed to. I don't know if he had signed anything. I would assume that there's some sort of legal thing. Otherwise, how would he be able to stay with the Patriots? But you make sure that Adam, that you click on the tweet and make sure it's a verified account and kind of wait a few minutes to see, okay, wait, I've been hacked. Sorry. Because um, that would be the ultimate. But wow, that was that was a stunner for sure. And a lot of moving parts are affected by that. So the domino effect is that now the Colts might be interested in John Filippo as their head coach, or they might also be interested in offensive coordinator for the Eagles, Frank Reich, which would potentially mean that Filippo could be moved up to the offensive coordinator in Philadelphia and therefore not end up as the offensive coordinator in Minnesota. And from my understanding... The Vikings had to put in paperwork to interview Filippo, and that was going to be returned to them, and then they were going to go forward. But now there's a delay, so we have to sit here and wait. And not only are we sitting here and waiting, but also Kevin Stefanski, Daryl Bevel, Sean Ryan, Dan Campbell is going to interview this week, correct? So we're all sitting here now in a holding pattern waiting to figure out who the Colts are going to hire mm-hmm. and then all the other pieces can fall into place. Yeah, it's a mess. I mean, the Vikings, you want to take your time with this regardless. That's what the notion that we got from Rick Spielman with the quarterbacks and with the offensive coordinator. They, were go- they weren't going to try to make a really quick hire to get somebody in place to start installing a system because the players aren't here. You know, it's the offseason. You can take your time with this. But the but the situation does kind of put the Vikings in a bind because two guys that you know they're interested in um, you know may be affected by the Colts hire p- pending hire. I mean, which as you mentioned with Campbell, he's supposed to interview on Friday, I believe um, Thursday or Friday this week. So that could potentially take that option off the table for the Vikings. And then you know with Pat Shermer wanting to potentially bring Kevin Stefanski on board in. New York. I mean, what's that waiting pattern? So it's like it's you if you're the Vikings, you worry that all these pieces that you have in place, that these options that look like a nice smorgasbord here, they're all going to potentially get picked, um, leaving you what not wanting to scramble. But, you know, low, you know, they're, they're right to want to wait to get this right to talk to Filippo, which I believe the 
they can only do that starting on the 14th. So maybe a Valentine's Day dinner uh, will be able to convince him or, you know, convince both parties that he's the right guy for the job and they could make, you know, the hire right then and there. But assuming, you know, with Frank Reich and like everything in, in Indianapolis that could potentially happen, um, that could keep him in Philadelphia. So it's it's an interesting situation for sure. Um, kind of seeing how there's been a lot of hate towards Josh McDaniels. And look, I, you know, because it's National Signing Day when we're recording this, you know, I think I'm just going to put it out there. I used to – you can't fault people for – you got to look out for yourself. Mm-hmm. You absolutely have to look out for yourself. Did him looking out – did McDaniels looking out for himself screw over, screw over other people that, you know, he was going to bring on as assistants? Absolutely. But just as this was when I covered recruiting years ago where people would hate on kids and send kids vitriol and say horrible things if if there was a last-minute 11th-hour flip from one school to another, they're doing the best thing for them. And, you know, Josh McDaniels is doing the best thing for himself. It's a business. It sucks for the people, all the collateral damage there is, and there's no denying that. But you got to look out for yourself in this business, and that very easily could be him lining up a job to take over for when Bill Belichick retires. And if he does that, then he doesn't get Tom Brady. That's <laughs> uh, maybe uh, not as advantageous of a situation as he might think. But if that is the way that they've set it up with Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick, and he likes the area, his family wants to be there, and then all of a sudden that offer comes in, these sorts of things happen all the time with regular people in regular jobs, and it's just not out in the media or anything else where you get an offer to go somewhere else and instead you decide to stay where you're at or they pay you more money or they offer you something a little bit better. I mean, these things happen pretty often in the world. So I, I agree with you when I see everybody ripping and destroying Josh McDaniels. I kind of shrug a little bit because he didn't sign the contract and then something else came along. I mean, in media, this happens all the time. In fact, it's what you hope for. Yeah, absolutely. Right? It's almost like, oh, I got another job offer. Would you like to pay me some more money to stay? It's called leverage. Right. It's, yeah. it, it's a business. And that's what this all boils down to. I don't know the terms and conditions of what Robert Kraft offered him. I hope it's... 10 times the worth of a Rolls Royce, but I mean, he's potentially has the Patriots in his palm for the long term. He's 41 years old right now. If this doesn't work out, you don't rule him out as getting another head coaching job somewhere down the road for the next 20, 25 years. It can happen. Is it, a, it doesn't make him look great, but where he's staying right now, he doesn't, doesn't matter the outside perception. He's staying with the team that he's been with, you know, since, you know, the fallout he had in Denver and those years after where he had to regain himself and kind of redeem himself there. And then, you know, you join on with the, with the Patriots and he's had multiple championships. He's fine. Like right. there's, there's no doubt in my mind that, eventually this is all going to blow over it's just you know that there's a lot of scrambling pieces right now that are like well thanks and and you can't blame them it's always like this in the nfl too that whatever the issue of the day is there's massive overreaction to it and then everyone forgets two weeks later i mean if you look at some of the coaches and different things that have happened to them ways that they've left and they still end up with jobs how about steve spurrier in Washington, what a disaster that was. And then he just gets back to a major program and he's fine. How about Bobby Petrino? Just leaving before the season is over <laughs> in the NFL? Deuces. And then Ask Mike Zimmer what he thinks about that. Yeah, right. He's got a, a very notable quote about Bobby great Petrino. Uh, a coward, I believe he called him, among other words, that would make you appreciate Mike Zimmer's candor. Let's Absolutely. just say that. Um, but Petrino, what, coaches at Louisville now? Yeah, so and he's, he's had a great program. He had a Heisman winner. I mean, he's chilling. <laughs> he's fine. He he had a motorcycle incident. Things happen. Right. And, you know, now he's recovered. He's fine. And wasn't it, I feel like I don't want to say the wrong guy, but there was a coach who I believe is now with the Detroit Lions as the offensive coordinator <laughs> who went through a drive through with no clothes on or something. <laughs> I, I don't, if, if I have the wrong guy, then I apologize deeply to Mr. Bob Cooter. <laughs> um, but I th- not even go with his full name. I thought it was him. Yeah. Jim Bob Cooter. I thought it was him who went through a drive through with nothing on and then still ends up as the offensive coordinator as the Detroit Lions. Do I have that right? You've got your computer. Yeah, I'm looking right now. Um, um Come back to me on this. Yeah. Okay, all right. I don't even know what you Google search to 
Check on that. I just wrote Jim Bob Cooter drive through. Drive through. Okay. All right. Well, I thought it was him, but either way, like, yes, that's yeah. Correct. It says despite arrest in oh nine oh six, he was arrested twice. Oh wow. <laughs> this is what I um, mean. I mean, this guy just turned down a job for a better one. There was a DUI and then charged with aggravated burglary after getting into a bed with a woman after climbing into the window of her apartment and stripping down to his underwear. The woman called the police who arrested Cooter, was released on a $10,000 bond the next day. 10 Gs, that's it? Wow. So it wasn't the, he wasn't the drive-thru guy? I don't... The DUI, like... He was... The, but getting into bed with someone... You well, it know, sounds like... Well, it says the weird. DUI is arrested again for a more serious and bizarre offense. Maybe he wasn't, but good Lord, that's... what. what those two things are... Either way, the fact that you could be back, and how about... Oh, Aaron Cromer. How about Aaron Cromer? Oh, here, yeah. Sorry, okay, here's who it is. Here it is. Former Lions assistant Joe Cullen. Oh, okay. All right. I believe that's who it is. Because I recall a Lions player going for Halloween as that guy who went through the drive-thru. Yeah. If you look, if you here's this is from fan side at a few years ago. I love how we just digress. You can tell we're in the middle of the off season. Um, Oh, it's just started. Yeah. There is so much off-season purple If you've been looking be for done. a coach to name most likely to follow in the footsteps of former Lions assistant Joe Cullen and hit up a Wendy's drive through naked, it's probably Cooter. <laughs> <laughs> that's tremendous. Whoever wrote that, that is Pulitzer-worthy. That, that's very good work. And uh, Aaron Cromer not only leaked stuff about Jay Cutler to the media, but then in his next job, he went to Buffalo, where he was, I think, the offensive line coach, and he was arrested for punching a teenager who was trying to steal his beach chair. So, <laughs> I mean, if you could come back from that, then you can come back from, hey, they offered me to take over for Belichick. So, I mean, with uh, McDaniels, everyone will eventually get over it, I'm sure. Yeah, I, you would think so. I mean, and plus, it's not to rule out. Let's say things don't work out and aren't rosy in New England. I mean, they're clearly the Super Bowl favorite for next year. I mean, I know the odds have even been released for that. But with keeping those three pieces in place with Kraft, Belichick, and Brady, like, let's say it isn't going to work out much longer. He's still got the 20-year period. He's 41. Like, he's still got a chance to get another job elsewhere. Just won't be in the short term. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and, and I'm sure that the Colts feel spurned. And those coordinators, that's got to be tough. It's then. tough. They, you know, you're committing already to, to moving your family up there and starting anew and probably already giving up on other positions. That stinks. And then you're not going to be working with the head coach that you thought. So the head coach who's coming in is locked into those coordinators. That makes it harder to hire a head coach. But people are so desperate for head coaching jobs, they can work around it. Yeah, I mean, and I think it's a good thing that the Colts, that situation where, you know, there were casualties involved, essentially, but they're keeping the promise to those guys that they're going to have jobs. Yeah, exactly. Just, they, it may not be a great situation. So it might take a couple of weeks for the dominoes to fall here <laughs> for the Vikings, and then we will eventually find out where the Vikings, I think, are in a good position is it doesn't sound like anybody else is really hot on the trail of Daryl Bevel, mm -hmm. that I haven't heard him connected to anybody else. And if everything else falls through and they don't like the other candidates and DiFilippo ends up, they don't get a chance to interview him, I think they really like Kevin Stefanski. And the fact that Pat Shermer wants Kevin Stefanski in New York gives me some confidence that he could carry over a very similar offense and know so many of these players and what their strengths and weaknesses are. I talked to Teddy Bridgewater about it last week. He was in town promoting his book. Um, and we kind of talked about the offseason, but I asked him about specifically Stefanski as a coordinator and what that would do. And, I mean, one of the first things he brought up was, look how many positions he's coached. Look at the continuity that could remain there with – you know, he's coached Kyle Rudolph and he kind of like went off just about like talking about like all the stuff with Kyle and, you know, he's coached all three quarterbacks that are currently going to be free agents. So he knows, you know, I don't think there's going to be that much drop off if they're looking to, you know, maintain and, and contend for another Super Bowl to be able to get in the Super Bowl next year. I think that that's your safest choice, it seems to me, just with he's worked with all three quarterbacks. So regardless of who you bring in, um, you know, you have a system in place that's not going to be vastly different from where it was this year. I mean, he hasn't called plays, but you got to start somewhere. And I think that he's had enough experience and he's been with the Vikings since 06. I mean, he's been there a while. And I think a very key part of being the offensive coordinator is listening 
to your smart players on offense. Mm -hmm. We know that this team is built around a lot of highly intelligent football minds, not just good talent. Stephon Diggs comes to mind for me right away. His understanding of the game is at such a high level that he talked to me once about Pat Shermer and the dialogue that Shermer and the wide receivers have. Jarius Wright is an experienced and smart player, knows the game. Kyle Rudolph, you would say that for... The offensive line, I mean, a, a bunch of those guys are, are really mm-hmm. high IQ football people. And if you're the offensive coordinator, that's got to be a big part of it. I don't feel like it was that way with North Turner. And I think some players were frustrated by that. And then when Shermer came in, it was like a breath of fresh air that he was going to listen to them and, and take their feedback on different ideas and different concepts. And there was something that I heard from a couple different players that Shermer would say, it's the players, not the plays. To to kind of put it on them, Mm -hmm. like you guys are the ones out there running what we're asking to run. So if you're not comfortable with it, then we have to have this dialogue. And that's not an approach that I think everybody uses. And I'm sure you saw the Doug Peterson thing where Nick Foles was the one that called that play. The Philly special. Exactly. And And that's the type of approach that I think is working much better now in 2017, 2018. The coaches who are having the dialogue with these players even the there was a clip of Steve Kerr out there who you have some experience covering Steve Kerr talking to Steph Curry not yelling at Steph Curry not saying you do what I say or whatever else but just having conversations with him adult to adult I think that's how today's players want to be treated and I think that's why this is like kind of a topic for another time but it's it's why system quarterbacks it's not such a bad thing anymore I know there's this knock and this notion that you have to have guys who can transcend all sorts of offenses, your Aaron Rodgers, your Tom Brady's, your Eli Manning's to a degree. I mean, those type of players are so few and far between that you have more of the Nick Foles, the Case Keenums, the you know the Blake Bortles types where you can get a lot out of them. You really can. And, and it's not a knock that if you're a system quarterback, what did Pat Shermer do last year? He worked that system around what Case Keenum did well, not – just the principles that he's picked up every single place he's been, um, you know, from learning the West Coast, really honing it with Chip Kelly in, in Philadelphia and then bringing it here. He's mixed bits and pieces of what makes that system good and worked it around the strengths that Case Keenum had. And, you know, even before that, with the year before, with what Sam Bradford could do well. It's a dialogue I think that's important to have because in a day and age where – you know, the franchise tag is being used less and less, and there you have all this cap money, um, you know, the cap's getting bigger and bigger to, you know, get the best players there. Like, if you're going to do that, get the best players who are willing to work within the comp, you know, not just within the parameters of your offense, but can bring their own strengths to it. And then maybe you, maybe it opens up what you can do. Just moving forward here a little bit, because um, you brought up Kyle Rudolph, or his name has just been poked around here a little bit. Um, where do we stand on him? for how we fit in this offense. Cause I think of him as being the prime example of why I liked what Pat Shermer did that for the most part, he used Rudolph in short situations, third down and short, fourth and short, a lot of screen passes to him, which is not what you really expect. Mm-hmm. And in the red zone, um, the next offensive coordinator will come in and he's going to find if it's not Kevin Stefanski, a really tall red zone weapon, but I think that there's improvement to be possibly made at that spot. That doesn't necessarily mean getting rid of Kyle Rudolph. And David Morgan, I thought, had a great year uh, as, a, as a blocker and occasional pass catcher. But when I watched the Eagles, I thought they have multiple tight ends who can really run routes and catch the ball. And I'm not sure that the Vikings have as dynamic of a player at that position. And they've tried to find that player through the fifth or sixth round of the draft recently, Michael Pruitt or undrafted Kyle Carter or my all-time favorite, Bucky Hodges. I mean, it just hasn't worked, and it usually doesn't. If some guy is 6'6 and runs a 4'5 and he's drafted in the sixth round, he's probably not good at football. So I think that's one of the positions that they probably need to address to help out whoever the next offensive coordinator is and give them a few more weapons because the Eagles threw to like 11 different people. Yeah, and I think that's the difference. One of the prime differences between the Vikings and the Eagles is, you know, Zach Ertz is in a class of his own um, and can do 
in a way, so much more than what Kyle, you know, Kyle Rudolph, his, his, he was supposed to statistically, you know, we were talking about how he was going to have the season he had last year, and it was different this year because he was obviously hurt for a little bit. But what Pat got out of him, I think, is nothing short of like remarkable, just considering this is not a guy who blocks well. This is not somebody who you're, you know, it's kind of, I tend to think, I mean, they, they've tried to pull him into more of that hybrid role. So what you can do with that there, you know, that's a day two pick for me, for sure. Day two, day two of the draft, like, that's not, you're not waiting until one of the later rounds because, you know, how, as you said, like the, with the success of some of their later round picks, they're not either even on the roster right now or they're on the practice squad or, you know, to the point now where Kyle Carter's going to New York. I mean, clearly Shermer saw something in him that he really liked, and that's why he's, you know, he was able to get him. And obviously, I think that became official yesterday or the day before. I felt um, so bad for Kyle Carter. Why is he, that? He was on the team the whole time, and then they cut him for a backup quarterback. Right that they the never playoffs. used. Yeah, I know that that does that's that's the business. Um, that stings, man. But no, I think I think you're right. I think that, that that's definitely a draft need that you that's a draft something you want to address in the draft with, you know, Kyle with Kyle Rudolph and, and David Morgan. I mean, you know, you need some help at, at that position. A little bit more of guys who can run routes and be you know faster and just more dynamic. And I'm not saying he's not athletic or anything like that, but just breaking away, trying to find more of a hybrid guy. So there's uh, a few options here in free agency at the tight end position. Mm-hmm. And we'll go, like, hardcore free agency soon. Don't worry. Free agency's coming. Yeah. But just to kind of skim over it, there are some guys that I think would be maybe more interesting from the free agent pool than the day two tight end pick, uh, even though that's a good idea, uh, rather than the day three tight end pick, which is just you, you're off the, the scrap shoot. Right. Yeah. But if you're drafting one in the third round, maybe you're getting a, a reasonably good player as opposed to just a long shot. But I don't think that they would have a chance of bringing in Jimmy Graham. So put him off of the list. Antonio Gates is likely washed or just going to stay in San Diego for, for like a one year contract. But Trey Burton of the Eagles mm-hmm. is a free agent. I think he'll have a lot of interest. The name that really caught my eye was Tyler Eifert of the Cincinnati yeah. Bengals. And he was hurt this year. So you kind of think, I mean, you're taking a risk, like, but that would not, I mean, I think you just want a more dynamic player at that position. Like, you need to have somebody who, yes, is in the, he was the best red zone th- threat that they had that was not Latavius Murray. Um, yeah, I mean, they were, those two were the biggest red zone threats that the Vikings had in 2017. But to me, I think Eifert would be, it's an intriguing, it's an intriguing one. I, I've heard that name thrown around there a little bit, and, you know, assuming he's coming along with his rehab, it would not necessarily be a bad thing to, to invest some time there. There are also guys who are more traditional, sort of number two or number threes. Uh, Virgil Green plays for the Broncos. He's somebody that's sort of held down that role for a, a few years. Uh, Niles Paul is kind of a like disappointment guy in Washington, but has some athletic skill. Ed Dixon is from uh, Carolina. And I remember specifically Zimmer praising him at one point. I, I just think they need more of a sure thing there mm-hmm. because they, they brought in Blake Bell and it was just nothing to offer. And now I think when it comes to running back and when it comes to tight end, you need three of them in, instead of just one. You have to have – I think having that stable, which is why, I mean, if we're talking running backs, I mean, Vikings need a number three. If it's not going to be – if you can't find a way to bring Jarek McKinnon back and it's not going to be the same core that they had last year, that to me is – a day two draft need as well. Um, or, there, I mean, you can go to free agency too. Like, I think that um, there's several teams that you could be looking at there. Isn't Bears maybe with, with Cunningham? Like, that's like one of the first ones yeah. that comes to mind yep. for me. Um, tight end too. I mean, that's, you know, those are not sure fight, you know, sure bet positions here anymore. I mean, like the wide receiver, you're set pretty much. I mean, depending upon what they do, you know, with the, Outside of, I mean, those three that they're going to bring back, obviously, with, with Diggs, Thielen, um, and Wright. But then from there, that's the Wild West, like with Michael Floyd. I mean, obviously, Laquan Treadwell will be back, but what role? Um, and then from there on out, I mean, Coley is coming back, and you, know, you have your practice squad guys. There's a whole slew of them. But 
Yeah, I mean, I think that that's you want to shore up both of those positions because and, and have that third option um, that can actually produce because you know we saw what the third option became with the running backs. I mean, it was a good duo, but Latavius Murray ended up taking over that role as we thought it was going to be more split between the two. But you need, I think, you need a third option in both. So with the running backs, because I, I I'm working on this series, Future of the Vikings, and I've worked my way all the way up through defensive line, which is on our website, fifteen hundred ESPN.com. But quarterbacks, we've been talking about the quarterbacks, and oh, we will man. continue to talk about the quarterbacks. But the second position that I did was the running backs. I think Jarek is all but gone because he thinks he should be either a part of a tandem again or even a number one running back. I don't see him as a number one running back, but there are almost no real number one running backs anymore. I mean, it seems like everybody's going with these rotations and it keeps, first of all, players can be successful longer as opposed to having one great year with 400 carries and then falling off the map, but also keeps opposing defenses off balance. I wouldn't think it would be crazy for the Vikings to have a number three, even though Delvin Cook will take the majority of the snaps. You don't want to run Delvin Cook into the ground just to get him 1,000 yards or 1,500 yards or something like that. Like, Jay Ajayi is a star, but he's sharing the backfield with two other very good running backs, and I wouldn't think it's crazy if the Vikings were to keep Latavius Murray, even though he can't be the number one back anymore, and then ask Jarek what he wants, and if not, try to find a very similar back. Yeah, I mean, have somebody who... You know, it's a complimentary piece. Latavius can only do so much. Like, I mean, I think that there's a ceiling there. You get your explosive plays from McKinnon, and he's obviously really good at catching passes, which, you know, Murray struggled with. That was kind of their, you know, their Jekyll and Hyde. One was really good at one thing. The other was kind of, you know, good at something else. And so... You know, if you're going to – and you wonder, too, how soon is Dalvin going to be ready to come back and, and be the version he was those first four weeks of the season? So if you sign somebody like, you know, you know, as I mentioned, you know, Benny Cunningham, Corey Grant's another option that comes to mind from Jacksonville. Who else? Um, help me here. Like, there's there's a lot of uh, – there's this is actually a pretty good free agency class, I believe, for – running backs and just had it open give me one second just for like even that that number three role I mean you're not going to find any stars here there but it's very doable that you could sign one you know in free agency or you know draft one the website we use overthecap.com is the biggest website of all time and it like takes a really long time to load so that's my delay but there is the option of uh, drafting one we've seen a lot of draft picks oh Scarborough could be one yeah, uh, Alabama. Mm-hmm. Um, remember, he, I don't. I don't know if he'll be. If I think somebody might pick him up pretty early. Remember, he yelled "Go Bama" or something, right? Like, wasn't there? There was a controversy. It was with supposed him. to be against the president. Yes, yes. He said something clearly about. He's like, no. I said, you know, forget Georgia. Yeah. Uh, in layman's terms, forget Georgia. Right. Um. Anyway. So, uh, well, Le'Veon Bell. They could just sign him. That'll be that easy. <laughs> No, but you're right. No, yeah. there are a number of those guys. Uh, Rex Burkhead played for the Patriots this year. He kind of had that sort of role. Um, I wouldn't. I would expect Deion Lewis probably stays there, but he's a really interesting name. A guy who's basically part wide receiver. Benny Cunningham is a great name. Um, hey, Stephen Ridley's a free agent. <laughs> he the era could come. Could it, would it be a second era, or would, would he be able like, to pick yeah. up his era again? Yeah. It would count as a second era. Do you think it would last longer than the first one? I mean, if it's in free agency, they would have to. I mean, you sign him in March and then... I would think so. Then at least you have him for... At least you have him until OTAs. Well, last year they... Oh, you know who might be interesting for this uh, is Jeremy Hill, who's kind of a Jarek McKinnon type a little bit. Wasn't wasn't ever really a big-time starter always a role player and uh, from Cincinnati there's always that connection there with Mike Zimmer that mm-hmm. uh, I believe he was still there when Jeremy Hill was very early in his career so just the, the overriding point is you do need another guy at this spot I think especially if someone gets hurt or if Delvin Cook takes a little longer but even if that doesn't happen the way that teams like the Eagles rotated in personnel the Vikings did a lot of that too last year Guys don't have to play 98% of the snaps as the number one running back. You can rotate them in, and then by the fourth quarter, you still have a pretty fresh backfield. I think the Vikings can learn a lot from the Eagles and the way that they went through this postseason um, and the way that they handled things, but particularly with you know the running back 
core, you know, with how Ajayi got the, they got the most out of him and LeGarrette Blunt and like every, you know, how they were able to use that rotation to their advantage um, and spark something there that I just don't think the Patriots had. So the wide receiver position you brought up too. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wrote about that one as well. At some point, you'd have to dig back a little bit uh, on the website, but wrote about that one as well. And I, I think what we learned this year is that we can be certain Laquan Treadwell is not going to work out. I mean, there is no ceiling there. There's no, oh, if he just learns to, like with Cordero Patterson, it was always, if they just use him right, or if he just learns to run a route, which doesn't ever happen. Guys don't just learn to run a route like that. If that's your shortcoming, that's a major issue. But at least with Patterson, they found a way to use him that was successful on the offense, throwing screen passes, running him a little bit, probably should have run him some more. With Treadwell, because he's not fast and he's not dynamic with the ball and he's not a deep threat because we saw him a number of times uh, not winning those battles when the ball was deep to him. Baltimore. There is There is really not a role fit for him and just being a blocker as a wide receiver ain't going to do it. Not, not for, you know, being a first round pick and eventually, you know, the, the question of your fifth year option coming, coming into play. I, I just, it's been a disappointment. They can't really cut him though. No, they can't with the cap. And I think that with, you know, the situation here, it's not, Oh, it's his third year. He's finally going to turn the corner as we've seen that argument over on the defensive side with you know with Mackenzie Alexander and with Trey Waynes, that's different. But I think something here is just, you know, with Treadwell, he can't create separation. We've been saying this for, for months on this podcast and he's had he's had opportunity. He's been targeted. It's been, you know, you know, there there was there were battles in camp that he wasn't winning. This is before I even got here that he was not setting himself apart. And I just don't know where he's going to be able to do it because it's not getting any less crowded at right. that position. Now, the Vikings last year went after Elshon Jeffrey and he decided to sign with the Eagles. Um, you wonder how things would have been different if he did not sign with the Eagles because yeah. he was a big part of their success. There are a number of really good wide receivers, like real good fits. For the Vikings, not necessarily guys like Terrell Pryor who are going to maybe demand a little bit more or look for a little bit more money, but someone like Taylor Gabriel, who's a playmaking wide receiver for the Atlanta Falcons, someone like Kendall Wright, from who had a good year with the Bears, uh, considering that their quarterback situation wasn't perfect and they had a lot of injuries on the offensive line. Someone like um, Jerron Brown from the Cardinals. There are some role-playing guys out there that I think might be a good fit for the Vikings as a true number three wide receiver if they're not just going to go back to Jarius Wright. Because in the playoffs, it seemed like they wanted to just go back to Jarius Wright. And one factor with him is that Teddy Bridgewater and Jarius Wright have a great uh, connection. They have great chemistry. They did before when, mm-hmm. in 2014, 2015. So if Bridgewater is the quarterback of the Vikings, he might want Jarius Wright to be more of a part of the offense. But even then, if we're going by the theory you can't have too many really good weapons, I think free agency is definitely a place that they need to be looking for another guy. Yeah, but and you also take a look at who they, the younger guys that they have that were just, you know, they had to make room, so they put Rodney Adams on the practice squad, and that's somebody that Zimmer was, you know, pretty high on that he has the chance to be a good football player is what he said mm-hmm. Stacy Coley has the chance to be a good football player Caleb Jones who was never really in that conversation because he started the year as a practice squad guy but, but interesting that they kept him on yeah the like they, they they clearly see something and they have the build where those guys are outside receivers like they can replicate what they've been doing um down the line with you know the de- you know potentially kind of using if you want that number three to be a rotational thing you could possibly you have the bodies to do that if you don't have a true number three that is if they as you said if they don't if they decide that that they're not going to go with Jarius as their true number three one thing I mean that I think is pretty certain is Michael Floyd will probably not be on this roster next year like if if you're him you want to go in year 20 almost 29 I believe you want to go to a place where you know you can kind of pick truly pick up where you left off in Arizona because he was on to some really special things out there and he's fast and he's an athletic freak when he gets out there. He just did not have the chance to show that at all this year. And you wonder 
what happened there, right? I mean, yeah. because all offseason we talked about how good he looked in camp, and he really did. I know he was playing a lot against the twos, but he was dominating the twos. He wasn't just playing okay. When they threw him the ball, he seemed to make plays, but they didn't throw him the ball very often, and maybe they just didn't feel that they really had a fit there, or maybe they didn't feel like he was the same wide receiver again. But regardless, what you said is 100% correct. He's not coming back. It no. would be stunning if Michael Floyd was on this team again. And, I mean, it's not like he hurts the cap space. Like, that's a very easy cut. Yes. And, I mean, you don't gain a whole ton back, but it's it's just an, it's another – it's just easy. Let's and, keep it at that. And you make a great point that when they're looking at these wide receivers and Caleb Jones might work his way into the conversation because he is an outside receiver and they love to move either Diggs or Thielen inside mm-hmm. to create mismatches and Thielen – Getting off of the the line of scrimmage and things like that, you don't get jammed if you're in the slot. You can create uh, mismatches. He's really good at finding space. There was a play against Washington where Thielen ends up getting chased by a linebacker. It's like, I know it was zone coverage, but, I mean, if you have Thielen matched up with a linebacker in any situation, you win. And they ended up with a big play on a short throw, one of many this year. Uh, and that was part of the way that, that they did that. So when we think of Thielen and Diggs as outside receivers, they only are to an extent. There goes back to the intelligence point and how skilled they are as route runners. You can move them anywhere. So you're almost looking for a, a more of an outside person. I think you want a more traditional are. role. Yeah. Because yeah, I know you wrote an article about it and you talked to both uh, Diggs and Thielen just about how much they're chess pieces. You can move them or I don't know if you pawn. What I don't play chess. You play chess. You won a chess championship. You told me this. Sure did. Um, you can move a them. Pawn or, is not a versatile. I have piece. no idea. The king, maybe the queen. Uh, the king is also not a versatile piece. The queen would be your most versatile. Yes, it, uh, it can move in any direction. It can move uh, like a forty-five degree angle. It can move straight. I like uh, Chinese checkers. That was a fun game. All the pieces are the same in Chinese checkers. Yeah, That's it's not anything like football. Um. Well, I digress. I mean, I think that you have to have your long, lean. Guy who can go up and win a battle, your your ex receiver, that true outside presence, and I think that they might have that somewhere within the group of the younger guys that were you know around this year. Whether that's Rodney Adams, whether that's Caleb Jones, whether you know, and and we don't truly know where Cole. I think Coley and Jarius Wright are a lot more similar than we've than anybody's really let on because we just didn't get to see Coley do that much this year. But he's a he's a quick guy. And if you're looking for to kind of emulate that third down success where if it's not going to Adam Thielen or if it's not going to Kyle Rudolph on third and short, um, one place they struggled was third and long this year, the whole season. Well, Case Keenum did. And, you know, find that threat. Maybe it is a guy like Stacey Coley. Maybe maybe it's Jarius Wright again. But I do think that you have options here because they were so overloaded at that position that it just kind of became, you know, we need to, however they, whenever they had to create roster space, it would seem like it was always a wide receiver getting affected. And that's why um, I think that this next season, that won't be a detriment. It's actually a good thing. So I have the offensive defensive line posted now, but we should save that for another podcast because okay. we've been talking about chess pieces and coaches going through drive throughs and really important things like that. Uh, Around the league, do you have a number one storyline outside of the Colts? Something that you are watching from the NFC North or from just any other team that comes to mind right away as soon as the season ended? I could point you in a direction here. The Nick Foles situation for me is very interesting. Whether the Eagles decide to trade him or just keep him. They might be able to get something really nice to trade him, but at the same time, when you have a really good backup quarterback, it can pay dividends. Yeah, it can. And and it and it proved clear here in Minnesota and then especially there in Philadelphia. If I were the Eagles, I'd say thanks for calling, but I think I'm just gonna keep him. Well well originally to to go back, I thought you were gonna be talking about the Packers because well, that's the first thing I think of is holy moly, that's going to be a different look team, new offense, new offensive, new defensive coordinators and a new GM. Will their draft philosophy change? I mean, it very easily could. I mean, how are they going to reload because they had injuries everywhere and their offensive line was trash this year? But we're not talking about that apparently. You want to go ahead and talk Nick Foles. That's fine. We'll talk Nick Foles. 
they their roster is like ten million over the cap right now. Things can be worked around. I think you do need a backup quarterback, and if Carson Wentz is not ready for Week One, then there's absolutely no indication that. I think you could get more for him. Week I had this argument on Twitter this morning. I think you can get more for him week five through seven. Let's just say that's kind of the sweet spot there where teams are realizing that their quarterbacks are not working out. Um, and if there's injuries that request and force a trade, that that might be the better time for for the Eagles to deal him. But if you're the Vikings, you don't go into the situation without at least making a call. What did we say about Drew Brees? It's a long shot, but you make the call anyways. Not in any way comparing Drew Brees to Nick Foles, but the guy just won a freaking Super Bowl. You make that call because what does he have that Case Keenum that doesn't have? What does he have that that Kirk Cousins doesn't have? He has a Super Bowl ring. And as you and I talked about, with you know, run pass option aside, system quarterback aside, he didn't look like one on Sunday. Those throws that he was dropping into Alshon Jeffrey's bread basket for that first touchdown of the game, where did that come from? I want to see more of that, and I think he has more of that available. So, you know, you would have to give up a lot for him. I I agree that that's the trepidation there, but they should certainly put him in the equation here. You'd have to probably give up a first-round pick right now, which they did before. Um, essentially, I guess they kind of got burned by it, but you had no other choice. It was two days before the, re- the preseason stopped. Like, that Teddy Bridgewater goes down, you're scrambling. That's how this happens. And as Rick Spielman said to us last week, you, know, you can't predict injuries. They want a long-term option at this position. Um, I don't know if Nick Foles is that guy. He could be. But you're having to give up a lot for him, but I think it's at, wor- at least worth the, the option. If you're not, you know, if you're going to be looking at Kirk Cousins, who, as you we called, you know, maybe a, a rich person's Case Keenum, I think you at least give Nick Foles a look. And and Nick Foles is probably a rich person's Case Keenum too, but I'm yeah. not. But I'm not sure. I mean, usually, like what we just see happen ends up being what we think is reality. And with Nick Foles, I don't know that what we just saw is going to be Nick Foles over a five-year sample. I would bet against it. Every time that I mean, even like Joe Flacco had that unbelievable run to the Super Bowl and it was astonishing the numbers he put up in that Super Bowl. And he's never done anything close to that since he's led good teams and he's been OK, but he hasn't been an all world quarterback because he had a great playoffs, a couple of game run. I mean, Andy Dalton has had a couple of game run, even a season for him. In the in the 2015, where he had something like 106 quarterback rating, so it does happen. And then these guys come back to earth. Maybe we even saw a little bit of that with Case Keenum. That would be my biggest concern: is that yes, Jeff Fisher ruins everyone's life. Yeah, let's, and, that's that's the one thing that right? we need to get out. Like, yes. I do not want to hear a single person come at anybody and be like, "Look at the Rams! Look at how bad he is with the Rams." That was a, you know, an anomaly. That was a terrible situation for any quarterback that was ever with that in that system. So I never want that part of the argument. The argument people are going to make about Nick Foles is twenty-seven and two to ten and eleven or whatever it yeah. was. Like that's the argument that's valid. But I think what the Eagles were able to do is defy the notion that you know they, it's kind of like a no excuses thing to the rest of the NFL. Like you can get this done. You can win a Super Bowl with the right coaching and the right players and putting them in the right situation. With the run-pass option, it worked for Nick Foles, and he was able to work outside of those parameters the last two games with the deep pass, which he was not very good at, <laughs> admittedly, when he took over for Fol- when he took over for Wentz in Week 14. Um, and then he goes to being what four for eight the last two games, you know, in these incredible passes to Alshon Jeffrey, and then the one, um, you know, which was actually a really good pass to Jeffrey again if he just wouldn't have bobbled it. Right. And, yep. Um, I think the one to um. Help me here. The, uh, Corey Clement? Corey the Clement. Yeah, it was that great. Was a, that, was that was a fantastic Unbelievable. Throw. He and made he, throws, yeah. He did. And I think that there's, you know, you're just starting to see. I mean, it wasn't a fluke. I'm sorry. It wasn't a fluke in 2013. People can regress here and there. Of course, that argument's going to be valid and brought up. But I think that there's more there than people are willing to, you know, if you're going to go all in on Case Keenum after one year of seeing this, and he's then Foles is you'd be dumb to not have him in that argument. Yeah, and Foles played better in these couple of playoff games than even Keenum did at his highest point 
during the regular season, um, especially if you're looking at, like you said, that the big time throws that he made were something that was totally unexpected. And clearly he can operate a system. Everyone, you mentioned that system quarterback thing. Everyone has to operate their system. It's just when it comes down to making a big throw at a big situation, that's what was so great about the Super Bowl is we saw both quarterbacks going back and forth making big throws. We did not see those big throws outside of the Minneapolis Miracle from Case Keenum when no. he came to the playoffs. And he wasn't very good even in that second half. The, right. the whole game changed on the interception. Mm-hmm. Um had it not been for the the Minneapolis miracle, I don't know if we're talking about him in the same light because as we talked about at the end of the regular season, how much is it going to depend on what Case Keenum does in the playoffs, where he falls in the argument for the Vikings bringing him back next year, I think was huge, and it was definitely valid. Well, I agree with you, uh, by the way, on the Packers being another really interesting offseason Heck story. yeah, the, Will NFC, they... the NFC North can be top-heavy, though, next year. That's That could be... You know, if the Vikings are going to make a push towards the playoffs, I mean, towards the Super Bowl again, because I think they will be a playoff team, that is going to be tough because they're going to be so reloaded and they're going to go. They, I think they're going to have a different draft philosophy this year, because um, and who they brought back at offensive coordinator, same guy who led them to that deep run in the in you know 2011. Uh, the whole NFC North will be interesting because new coaches in yeah. Chicago and in Detroit. Uh, I'm pulling something up on my computer now because I want to oh that's not what I was looking for I want to I want to play a game okay and I want it to be Courtney picks the Vikings make me sound like a homer no just just pick the games as you think they're going to be because we have their opponents yeah we just don't have the dates yet. we don't have a quarterback we don't have an offensive coordinator but I still want to make you pick the schedule or, or we don't have the schedule yet either we'll do that when it comes around but just matching up with the opponents. Oh, okay. Who you think, like, how many games do you think they'll win right now without knowing who the quarterback sure. or offensive coordinator is? I'm going to pull it up. And too. then as we go through the season, why am I having so much trouble finding this? Type in Vikings 2018 opponents. I know, I did. Oh, I didn't type 2018. Don't click on the first one because it's just a video. I, well, that's, Shout out to that's Wabi. the problem I'm running into <laughs> is that I keep running into, look at this video. Oh, there we go. Uh, I appreciate you, Daily Norseman. I do. Uh, yeah, that's the one I'm on too. Shout yes. out to the Daily Norseman. Okay. If now it'll load. This is this is great. It could okay, be cool. Well, while while you're still sorting that out, it could be cool um, if we if the Vikings pick up right where they left off as a very legitimate possibility that that could be a Thursday night opener there in Philadelphia. Yeah. No, that would be fun. That would be. Um... That'd be good. Although I don't think Vikings fans will be making the trip. I don't think so. I think uh, Pat Elflin's mom will stay at home. Oh, wow. Because, yeah. well, no, she's the one who tweeted it. Oh, like, yeah, no, I know. I know, but, it, like, how brutal was that? Like, they were making fun of her to her face. As her son Elfline was being carted off the field, or, well, helped off, but, yeah. Yikes. So I'm just going to read you the opponents as they're listed on the Daily Norseman site, and you're going to pick them. And then throughout the offseason, as things change – You'll just pick them at the end of every podcast. So when they name an offensive coordinator, you're going to pick them again. Okay. When they get a quarterback or three, you're going to pick them again. Or they name Sloter, Kyle Sloter, the official starter. Oh, man. So, Someone asked me this morning, how's Sloter looking? I haven't seen him oh, since. Oh, just say great. <laughs> I haven't say great. seen him oh, since. Oh, he's unbelievable. I actually don't think I saw him in the locker room after the Philly game. He probably was just like, well... See, that's the thing. Do you, do you have to shower? Do you have to get ready? He's like, I didn't play. I didn't sweat. I didn't do anything. I'd go straight to the bus. I don't know if there is there a rule about that. Where you There's probably not. I would assume yeah. that most. I mean, most guys. I mean, you saw. I saw Kevin McDermott after the um, the Saints game. He had, I believe, showered and was getting ready to like you know talk to um, some reporters. I'm like, but he didn't play. It's like, is putting on. I mean, you're wearing street clothes essentially. Like, but you still got to shower, I guess, and get ready. I don't know. It's weird. Maybe it's a just a general cleanliness thing because then people will start breaking the rule. If it's not a hard and fast rule, then people will take advantage even if they did play. Just pull a Marshawn after the uh, after the Chiefs game where he just went out of the stadium in his complete uniform. Yes, and didn't he go into the stands? Yeah, he went into the stands eventually. I don't know where and when he showered or took his um, took his pads off, but he definitely left the stadium in full uniform. By the way, great note about Kyle Sloter. He has a full lion tattooed on his arm. That's like, true on his shoulder. It is there's a, some it is good a big I mean, giant lion head. Not to get like I mean, there's some good tattoos like yeah. in that locker room. Storm Norton. Storm Norton's full back tattoo. Latavius Murray's Tay Train. Real thing. 
the Vikings actually one of their cool things that they have. Um, I don't know the the they bring in somebody who I've never actually seen before to do. I think it's the car karaoke. No, that's Jeff Overbaugh. No, <laughs> he wishes. Um, but they do the tattoos and they do the car karaoke. I think that same guy um, explains. He has them go through the tattoos because there's some meaningful ones and you know people get them for their kids and family. But Storm Norton's got a big one on his back. This storm. It's very large. Okay, so. <laughs> After everything that the Vikings do this offseason, you are going to pick their record. I'm just going to give you the opponents That's fine. with no particular order. I'm just going to I'm not giving you score, am I? I'm just going to go back and forth. Um Let's just do win loss. No, no, now. just win loss. Okay. I'm just going to go back and forth road game, home game, road game. Sure. Home. Okay, so the New Orleans Saints at home. I think it's a win. Okay. Miami Dolphins. Oh no, on the road, Philadelphia Eagles on the road. Loss. Really? Because they played great in Philadelphia last <laughs> they played time. So, so great I don't know. There. Uh, Miami Dolphins at home. Win. Um, the New York Jets on Win. the road. Okay. Oh, maybe Teddy will be the starting quarterback of the Jets at that point. That's very possible. It is very possible he could also be the starting quarterback of the Buffalo Bills at home. Win. Okay. I don't know why I hesitated there. I'm sorry. New England Patriots on the road to play Josh McDaniels in the Patriots offense. Loss. All right. San Francisco 49ers at home. In the fighting Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo, Ooh, man. I don't know. This That's one is tough. tough. I'm going to give this a loss, actually. Really? That is, they are loaded next year. And they did have you, tons did you of not see? Space. Yeah, did you not see Pierre Garçon going after Malcolm Butler, being like, come to a place that actually wants you? Los Angeles Rams in L.A. Oh, I'm going to that one. Yeah, that's going to be a I good game. I got family game. in L.A. I'm going to go stay there. Um, I'm going to give the Vikings a win here. You know, I you know L.A. I mean, this just fits my lifestyle. Yeah, it's like total reflection of who you are. All right, uh, Arizona Cardinals at home. When who is their quarterback? Could be Case Keenum. Could be Case Keenum. Uh, Green Bay Packers on the road. Let's go with a win. Really? Okay. They upset a Aaron, huh? Mm-hmm. Because he doesn't have his quarterback coach. <laughs> That's why. Um, okay, so this is just going to match up, but you're picking the game assuming it's just whenever. This is not the actual schedule. This is just the game. So Green Bay at, at home. For the at Vikings. home is a loss, I think. So you think that they win I think they split. They split. Lose. It could okay. be either way, but they're going to split. All right, so do they also split with Lions, or do you think they take two or none? Well. Because the only ones I have left are the NFC North teams. To be safe, and because it still is February, let's go split with Lions and then go 2-0 and against the Bears. I think they're going to win again in Soldier Field. Not necessarily in ridiculous fashion like what happened last year, but... So you have the Vikings next year going 11-5. and I think that's totally conservative and a good pick for February. Conservative, you think? I, th- I, might, actually, I might actually switch the... Um, for semantics' sake, because of how well they played at home this year, and I don't, there's not going to be too much fallout with the defense um, outside of the defensive line and you know Tom Johnson and Shamar Stefan being free agents. Let's switch. I'll say that Green Bay, the Green Bay game at home is a win, and the Green Bay game at Lambeau's a loss. That's and fair. I think they could split with the Bears. That they usually have trouble at Soldier Field. They do, and they had trouble at Soldier Field this time. They did, except for except for Harrison Smith. Harrison Smith, right. So I think that that's um, a possibility, but so you got me at eleven and five. That is, I'm a, what is our date today? The February seventh. I'm going to keep these in the uh, studio here. Keep them in the vault. Don't let anybody see that. On sticky notes, two seven. Courtney picks the Vikings. CPV. All right, beautiful. Okay, well, we will uh, be back with you. We're going to do these every week. Courtney is going to be here, and then we're going to have other interviews that we bring in for draft and and free agency and a number of other things. And, of course, Judd will be along as well. So we appreciate you all listening. We are deep now already into the offseason here on the Purple Podcast.